everyone, and welcome to another episode of Chillin' in the State House, the award-winning state government and politics podcast from the Topeka Capital Journal. I am Andrew Ball, one half of the CJ's State House team, joined by my better half, Jason Tidd. Jason, how are you, sir? Doing well, other than this sprained ankle that I somehow got during the last week of session really don't know how it happened, but I was not here the last day working from home. Covering the legislature is a contact sport, apparently. Well, a uh, contact sport and a conversion sport. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to get to that later yes, in the episode. Yes, we'll have to tell that story. Uh, that voice you hear, John Hanna, the Associated Press. Hello, Andrew. Hello, Jason. Good to have you as always, John. And uh, good we, to be here. We are we are happy to be recording this at all. Our we were about to sit down for our end of session wrap up episode when you know suddenly sirens and loud noises and uh, the state house was under some sort of fire alarm situation. So yeah, and some some voice came on and said that we had to evacuate we must leave immediately or something. Our, our podcast is too hot. The state house can't handle it. And here we are. We, but we're cool now. We're calm. We're chilling. Yep. I got my cup of coffee. But not iced coffee, though. So no. I don't think we can allow it on the podcast. It will make you too hot and bothered. Iced coffee is the official drink of this podcast. <laughs> okay. Well, If you are an iced coffee purveyor out there who would like to sponsor children in the state house uh, let us know anyway i'm ha- i'm drinking my coffee i'm i'm chill you know okay okay good this week we- i'm in the chill zone good 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 so the legislature was not yeah that is true zone. they were ready to go home by the end of it and, and yes. go home they did on friday uh they adjourned sine die which is latin for without day yes and, and friday was actually friday when they left uh they did not run into That's the true. wee hours of the morning yeah it was actually a pretty early departure for them all things considered yeah but, it wasn't four in the morning or 5 a.m yeah you know the just sun 11 p.m just 11 p.m. Yes, they had a few items left on their desk to take care of: uh, the omnibus budget, the final budget bill, the school funding bill, uh, a couple other items. But probably the big thing from last week was the legislature's successful and unsuccessful efforts to override Governor Laura Kelly's vetoes. They were successful, most notably on a couple key areas, a few big uh, transgender, anti-transgender rights bills, a couple notable abortion bills, which uh, you've all heard about on the podcast before. John, I'm going to start with you. What do you think last week in the legislature, you know, where they chose to focus their veto override energy can tell us about this session and and maybe where uh, Kansas is falling on on some of these uh, hot button issues. Well, it was easier for them, the them being Republican leaders, to get everybody together or most everybody in the caucus together. Plus, uh, Marvin Robinson, the Democratic state representative from Kansas the, the City, maverick KCK Democrat, the, yes, um, on these social issues particularly transgender issues. Uh, The state now has a pretty sweeping bathroom 
law in place, although nobody quite knows how it's going to be enforced. It doesn't set out criminal penalties or say you have what they say in the trade, a cause of action, grounds to sue. Um, so that's a little nebulous. And, but it, And thinking of how nobody knows how it's going to be enforced, uh, we talked this morning, well, this afternoon, with the Attorney General, and you and, had several questions for him on this uh, this new law, and, and there, the, the answers were not quite there. The answer seemed to be that for state agencies, he's there to offer advice when they have questions. If people, if legislators have questions about a law and how it's to be interpreted in light of this new law, he'll answer them, but in terms of how you know how how does the supporters were arguing they wanted to keep uh transgender women for example out of bathrooms with cisgender women um how is that going to happen exactly we don't know um the other that there's an overnight accommodations bill uh if you're on a school trip your students trans boys can't be with cisgendered boys and trans girls can't be with cisgendered girls um and this is kind of a notable bill i don't think we talked about it all and and part of the reason it's notable is i think we will see this one probably wind up in court as well because there are concerns about title nine implications and the landmark law that uh governs sex discrimination uh in uh, educational settings for instance and uh, under new Biden administration interpretations of Title IX, I think school districts raised during the bill drafting process concerns they're going to be asked to choose between state and federal law. Well, and of course, Chris Kobach told us uh, in his news conference today that he will most definitely challenge those rules. He'll probably get involved in a lawsuit with other states to, to challenge that. Um so those are the, the two that they overrode, plus they also overrode the uh, ban on transgender female athletes and girls and women's sports. Uh, the Kansas State High School Activities Association, known informally as Keisha, had a meeting the same week that the legislature was back, and they, they set a policy that basically restates the law and their policy, and they're going to... Uh, they're going to ask for the original sex assigned at birth. Uh, athletes have to have a physical every year, grade 7 through 12. If you go through any any town, you'll see uh, various signs up. We do school physicals around medical clinics, chiropractors' offices, that sort of thing. Um, but when they do those, they're going to have to ask for the birth certificate uh, closest to birth, usually it usually it's issued on the day of a child's birth. Actually, especially if you're in the hospital. Um, anyway, that's going to govern. Of course, um, we've discussed that it sets uh, male and definitions of male and female based on reproductive anatomy observed at birth. And then the abortion bills, if we're going to talk about Vita overrides, one was the abortion medication reversal bill. Mm -hmm. They overrode that. And then the other one was the so-called Born Alive Infants Protection Act, uh, and they overrode that one as well. Plus $2 million for the um, 
That's true. The yeah. centers run by anti-abortion groups. They provide free services, counseling, supplies, etc., to pregnant women and parents and post-birth stuff as well. The idea is by giving you all those services, they discourage you from having an abortion. Well, before I, I turn to Jason and maybe some of the areas where they were less successful, we should say we expect a number of these measures to be challenged in court. We're not 100% sure yet what that's going to look like, but I think, I mean, on the transgender athletes ban, the ACLU said while the bill was being considered in past years, basically, we'll see you in court if this winds up being law. They've sued mm-hmm. in West Virginia. They've sued in other states. Idaho, over, for example. Idaho yep. enacted a law in 2020, and it's been tied up since. And, of course, no in Kansas, nobody beats a law being tied up like anti like like the anti-abortion laws they passed i mean the the supreme court is considering the validity of a of clinic regulations passed in 2011 that have never been enforced and uh, a ban on a common late uh second trimester procedure that hasn't been enforced since its enactment in 2015 so i i think the expectation is that these laws that were enacted uh over kelly's override I, over Kelly's veto, uh, are less likely to be challenged by the clinics. Well, the the you know obviously on the born alive so-called born alive infants protection act, which deals with newborns who are delivered during certain abortion procedures, the argument they make is that 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 is a circumstance that just doesn't happen given where the the law is on in terms of viability and most you know the state hasn't reported any abortions at or after at or after 22 weeks i think since 2016 at least maybe a little longer and and so that the argument is that is where that law would come into play um the argument is it might also even though it doesn't deal with directly with uh, parents who carry a doomed pregnancy full term and give birth to a fetus that is severely me- or a newborn that has severe medical problems and will die within minutes or an hour or whatnot, and you wrap the baby up and give it to give give it to the parents to hold, you know, to spend those few moments. The argument I've I've heard from providers and critics of that bill is that, you know, this could uh, cause doctors to hesitate and, you know, try in life-saving, uh, feudal life-saving things, uh, interventions, because they're worried about how it will look later. Um, the tendency, um, uh, doctors are very risk-averse, and so they're always thinking about, well, if I don't do this this way, am I going to get myself in trouble? And I think the attorney general was pretty confident today that these new laws could withstand the strict. Yes, he was. He was very Supreme confident. Court. Well, Jason, those are all the things or a good chunk of the things that did get enacted over the governor's veto. There was one pretty big thing. Well, there were several larger things that did not but the biggest thing uh is tax related and and the the firemen coming in to address the they did have axes but they weren't axing taxes Uh, yeah 
and nobody is axing taxes this year. Uh, so if you are a regular listener of this podcast, as you should be, you heard last week that uh, the governor was expected to veto the flat tax plan, and she did that on Monday at a elementary school in the Seaman School District. Yes, a second grade classroom, as a matter of fact. And uh, the the governor opposes a flat tax. Uh, I the the concept of a flat tax uh, benefits more greatly the wealthier end of the spectrum. It also would be easier to try again at a march to zero mm-hmm. well and- i i should say they did they did do a twist on that in that they wrote it so that about six the first 61 6200 dollars of adjusted gross income double that for uh, married couples would be exempt from income taxes completely. And actually, and this is where Republicans push back on the governor's rhetoric. Actually, in terms of total dollars in savings, it was quite small, $45 a year roughly. But people who make $25,000 or less adjusted gross income, they actually would see 98% of their tax burden go away. But again, it's a small dollar amount. Whereas if you're, if, if you, you make, make more, it's like $3,800, you save that. And that's like, that's almost 11%. And that's certainly better than, um, you know, that group 50 to 100,000, that kind of middle class-ish group. They they would get, it would be less than 5% and somewhere around $120 a year as I did the math. Uh, and so after the veto... Uh, Republicans came in ready for an override attempt. Uh, I sat in on the House caucus as they were talking about it, but the House never got a chance to vote. No, it didn't get out of the Senate. Yeah, the first time around, uh, Carolyn McGinn was, well, she and Dennis Pyle of uh, independent governor campaign fame. With the song? There's a song. Dennis Pyle. Yes, he goes the extra mile, right? He does. And the man on fire. The man on fire. You voted no. So Carolyn McGinn voted no the first time around. Yes. Uh, A moderate Republican from Sedgwick, which is not entirely located within Sedgwick County, which I think is weird, but continue. Then a day later, so that vote was the day of the Kansas Chamber's annual dinner. Uh, and the Kansas Chamber has been a big advocate of a flat tax. The next day, Carolyn McGinn had had a change of heart or change of mind after reviewing uh, budget profiles, and she made a motion to reconsider. And with her flip-flopping on her vote, that would have presumably given Republicans the necessary two-thirds. But a but different wait. senator also flip-flopped. Uh, Rob Olson, who also said, he said he'd talked to, he'd gone home, he talked to his wife, then he came in early Thursday morning and, and ran the numbers, he said, and he, he just didn't think they were doing enough for the bottom group, and so he voted no. And we should say Senator Olson's flip-flops have killed 
top priorities of conservative legislators and Senate President Ty Masterson in the past. He changed his vote on a big-time expansion of school choice in Kansas in 2021 that led to that bill failing, and uh, he also spiked the motion to reconsider. Yes, and 30 minutes later, maybe a little less, there was a we got an uh, an email statement from the Senate President's office that his services as you uh, Senator Olson's services as a utilities committee chairman were no longer needed, which is a direct quote. <laughs> yes, no longer needed. Uh the Senate President said uh later I I discovered that I couldn't trust him, something like that. That was the gist of it. Uh, Senator Olson said that the Senate has become too, and the legislature in general has become too leadership driven, and it needs to be more collaborative and more transparent. And uh, now that he's not a chairman, he said, I have time to be creative. Which maybe will not, his creativity may not thrill the Senate president. Jason, though, I want to I want to go back to taxes because the the substance of what we saw during veto session will be that there will really be no substantive tax policy enacted this session. How much of a surprise is that, given where we were entering session and in last year's campaign, where this was a big issue? Well. Uh, for the record, there is one more tax cut bill that passed the legislature without a veto-proof majority, and the governor, uh, breaking her usual tradition, has committed to vetoing that bill. Uh, it would give a tax break to Genesis Health Clubs. Among others. Yeah. It also it, has the... Uh, it has uh, more than a dozen tax bills. It has the, the other notable thing is it has... An, a, an adoption tax credit, and it also has the tax credit for donors to uh, the anti-abortion centers, the pregnancy resource centers, the crisis pregnancy centers, uh, whatever name you want to give them, that, that, that is in there. It's for their donors. Um, and yeah, you're right. There are about 15 other things. Uh, so, I mean, if you had paid attention during the campaign season, both sides of the political spectrum wanted tax cuts. We came into the session with large budget surpluses, and in April the budget surpluses looked even better. And yeah, I don't, I don't think the word "large" quite. I mean, they're absurdly huge. Like Scrooge McDuck diving into a uh, pile. Yeah, I mean, of it's like coins. a gusher of cash, folks. And, and Republicans would love that characterization if they could say that it was. Governor Laura Kelly, who was the Scrooge McDuck. Uh, I mean, they they characterized it as Kelly wanting to keep all the taxpayers' money to herself. Uh, and, of course, Laura Kelly blames the Republicans for advancing the flat tax and bundling it with other tax proposals. Uh, during the final days of the session, she tried to work out a new compromise plan that didn't include a flat tax or claims she tried right well i mean we saw we saw a single piece of paper with uh, uh, several items on it that would have gotten to about 1.1 billion over three years in tax cuts as opposed to 1.4 billion over three years uh the leadership aides you know from statement from time asterson's office and and dan hawkins office said they didn't see it so um 
that will be sorted out, I'm sure, over the coming weeks as this is debated uh, on and on. But, you know, the argument from Republicans is she should have known better than to think that you'd just rush a plan through in, in a day or two. Um, and her argument was, look, if they want to act fast, they, they can and they have. And they're still here. So the, the, the end result is Kansans are not getting tax relief this year because the governor vetoed bills that had pieces in them that she had signaled she would not sign. And Republicans proceeded with bundling tax policy with those pieces in there, banking on getting supermajorities to override the veto. And they failed. They failed, yes. They miscalculated. I mean, it's kind of an interesting dynamic, and it's an interesting... I mean, this is not the last that we will hear of this and hear probably hear of the governor's the action. year and a half going into the 2024 elections. Yeah, I think that's pretty safe to say. Yeah. Well, I, you know... We are now, we can safely, well, well eh, almost safely look in the rearview mirror at session. The one kind of remaining question mark, and this was the big topic of conversation heading into the last week, is what about education? And Republicans decided to uh, jump ship on a major school choice expansion, enacting some variation of the educational savings account idea yes, that we've top, seen. Top ten top 10 most populous counties well that is a new wrinkle yeah but yeah. apply the essays only to the largest counties in the state it was a an attempt i feel like we can say to appease rural lawmakers who had voice concerns in the well past. and the irony is it, it according to some of the the dissenters i talked to the irony was it went backwards um, there because was it, also there was also some consternation about you know they were taking a program that Governor Kelly did with learning loss and a thousand dollars for low income families that needed money for supplies and stuff like that, and they were expanding that a little bit thousand dollars if your kids stayed in public schools, roughly five thousand I think it was ninety five percent of the base state aid, which starts at about. $4,848 and will climb because the base state aid climbs. But basically that disparity bothered some people. So that there weren't, the sense was there were not the votes to pass it in the Senate. And so they didn't, they didn't put everybody through that on the last day. So we'll set that aside. There was an education budget that did include mm -hmm. some, uh, the expansion of what, what is the state's, really primary school choice mechanism at the moment that is the scholarship tax credit for low-income students if you give to a scholarship granting organization that provides scholarships for low-income students to attend private schools you can get a tax credit this would increase the tax credit to 75 percent and it would cover students of to 250 percent of the uh, federal I can't remember if it's the poverty, poverty line. Yeah, yeah poverty level. Because the other was... For a family of four, that's about $75,000 a year. Indeed. And, of course, for smaller families, it's less. Um, it had been, I thought, 185%, maybe. Mm -hmm. It was not a huge reduction, though. School districts would argue that any increase to that program well, is and, a bad thing. And what's what's been frustrating for critics of that program 
the the total amount of tax credits is still capped at ten million dollars because they've never gotten to ten million dollars. What's frustrating for critics of this and critics of you know what they see as vouchers is that every year it seems like there's this was a very very narrow program it started with you know the hundred most underperforming elementary schools and then it just kind of a little bit expanded 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 and what happens is they tie it to school funding the republicans do and they just expand it just a little bit and the 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 governor has been swallowing these small expansions to get the school funding end of it yeah i mean we saw this exact same horse trading in 2021 that was probably the actually the biggest expansion to date um you know, the Kansas Association of School Boards has urged the governor to veto it, uh, the school budget, to bring legislators back in a special session, do a clean funding bill. They also want more money for special education. It is unclear if the governor is going to heed that call. As John alluded, she has signed in the past some expansions of the of the program well, and, and, and and obviously the calculation here is if the governor does that does she get a better result or does she just get really mad republicans back not wanting to do you know and there's nothing although the governor calls a special session for a single or two purposes there's nothing that requires the legislature legislature to stick to that which means that we could get tax cuts Mm-hmm. But it also could mean that the two senators who have been flip-flopping on flat taxes decide that they'll support it this time around. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's uh, – you also will have kind of the the issue of getting everyone back, period, for a special session. I mean, if you're going to try and fund schools, you obviously have to do it by July 1st, which is the beginning of the new fiscal year, ideally as soon as possible because school districts need to budget and figure out – their funding and legislators as much like the rest of us uh, have summer plans you know they will not be around get it, getting the entire legislature back on a given date is not a given uh, at this point because people have plane tickets to different places people have kids getting out of school that they had to well, find child for, care for and for example you know the weekend before memorial day generally the 20th and the 21st this year, I believe, that's generally a graduation weekend, high school graduations mm-hmm. and and th- and even college graduations. And so, um, yeah, I mean, more people yeah, get I, married no, Nobody's going to miss their kid's graduation. We entered last week knowing, I mean, several lawmakers had uh, conceded that the school budget bill in its old shape was something that would have trouble passing the legislature and have trouble getting the governor to sign it and would risk a special session that nobody wanted to happen. And it seemed clear early on that lawmakers were serious about getting something through that they did not think would result in a special session because they removed a provision that was characterized by the public school advocates as cutting funding, potentially in violation of the Gannon Supreme Court decision. Was that the so-called freeze? Right. That uh, that uh, Ty Masterson, uh, Senate President Ty Masterson, when 
did one of us use that phrase? For I you? asked him about it and applied that term, and it, and yeah, he uh, really pushed back on that. Yeah, I mean, Republicans say it was much ado about nothing. Senator Molly Baumgartner, the chair of the Senate Education Committee, went on a prolonged rant that that education groups, the KNEA, the teachers union, KSB, the school districts, engaged in misinformation, and that they were basically yelling fire in a crowded theater and but then she proceeded to take the the language out to Jason's well, and, point and the and, thing is i mean there's there's a long history of mistrust between the education groups and the legislature and so you know if you take out the language of the automatic tie to the uh, to inflation the automatic increase the, the you know, the legislature comes back every year and it can set whatever number it wants every year. It can change that law. It can put a provision in the budget that says, notwithstanding any other law, blah, blah, blah. Um, and it's done that kind of thing in areas of the budget plenty of times. Uh, they meet annually. They'll make changes annually. But if you don't have that in the law, then the education groups get suspicious that you're going to break the promise that you made to get the Supreme Court uh, to approve the school funding law. And I think it was 2019. And of course, let's remember that the Supreme Court has never let go of that case, that it is still in the remedy phase. So if somebody doesn't think there's enough money they just go straight back to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court issues an order in a matter of a month or two and that you know that's much faster than having to file a new lawsuit and go all the way through the process well something to keep an eye on uh, in the coming weeks well before we close out as we've closed out the legislative session I wonder, do you guys have any big takeaways? Uh, this was a, kind of a decisive session. It was the first session since the governor was reelected, promising to govern from the middle of the road uh, in a series of now infamous campaign ads. Any big takeaways? What should listeners uh, be in, in tune with as we as we look at the session in the rearview mirror? Well, I think we, we talked about this some last week, but uh, the rhetoric of middle of the road uh, what does that mean to the average person? Does that mean uh, that she is a check on Republican supermajorities and vetoes uh, their legislation? Does it mean that she allows some of it to go through, like the ESG bill that she allowed to become law without her signature? I mean, Republicans definitely characterized her record number of vetoes as a sign that she was not middle of the road. Well, and we also have to remember this was another session in which there was no action on medical marijuana, which is a big priority of the governor. It's something she says is a middle of the road bipartisan issue. Same for Medicaid expansion, which I, I mean, I think it's safe to say is basically dead in the water for the foreseeable future and has been I mean, for some time. The House time. Speaker had a retweet and anti medicaid expansion retweet even after the session had it had ended. and and look um what what you saw in the legislature was that the Re the republican supermajorities and th i think there was an acknowledgement that the redistricting maps for the legislature were drawn to keep the republicans at or near that supermajority for the next 10 years and so what you saw 
was the Republican supermajorities embrace this movement that Republicans have been on across the country, this this movement to roll back LGBTQ plus rights, particularly transgender rights, kind of a pushback against that. And so you got these bills, you did, what was interesting was they failed to override the her veto of the, ban, the bill that would have ended gender affirming care. For minors. For minors. But Kansas was very much a part of that movement on the right. You also had uh, uh, these anti-abortion bills that passed and they overrode, uh, despite the fact that that Kansas had that vote in August where it affirmed abortion rights. So you could argue, if you wanted to, and people will, that the legislature is out of touch with the population, the voting population generally. However, if you get to 2024 and Republicans by and large are not punished for the stances they took, in other words, they're not ousted from office, but the, you know, Kansans come back for the 2025 legislative session and the legislature is as about as conservative as it is now. It's that fundamental dichotomy of feeling that the people are not quite that conservative and yet electing that conservative a legislature. Well, I want to push back, maybe just sure. take it in a slightly different way. Something you said that you think, uh, think about redistricting. We have to remember Democrats voted for those legislative maps and the governor signed it. And I think that they did so, the Democrats ate those maps thinking that they still had a path predicated on Johnson County. Exactly. And I think there's going to be a really interesting dynamic from this session where we had a very Sedgwick County-focused leadership team that was really all in on on these very conservative national hot-button issues. And you started by the end of the session seeing some Johnson County Republicans voting against some of those bills, maybe with an eye towards uh, sure next uh, the next election. And, and that that is, I mean, what I remember the and and remember. Tell me if this this uh, uh, clashes with your recollection. But one of the calculations for everybody on those maps was. How much worse could the Republicans make? Well, it? and there certainly is some truth. To I that. mean, there was there was the hint of you take this or you get something worse. Sure, you get something more Republican because there are definitely there would definitely be ways to draw maps that were more favorable to Republicans. Sure, and that's certainly true. I, I, and there was, I think, even a map floating around out there that yeah. was the worst-case scenario. But but I do think the Democrats yeah, were, were fine with those maps because I think they still believe, if you look in the Senate, Senator Kelly Warren of Leewood, Senator Mike Thompson of Shawnee, to fairly conservative, well, very conservative Republicans. Well, in Rob Olson's seat, he's not running for mm-hmm. re-election. So you have, you have three Johnson County seats where they, Democrats are expected to be competitive, they have some seats where Republicans are expecting to be competitive, but but you know the pathway is there, and I think it will be interesting to see how voters, particularly in that area, you know, school choice again, an area where voters in Johnson but, County will probably be hesitant. And, you know, it'll be interesting uh, but, to but, see. But Andrew, when when I started here, 
the Democrats got up to, I think, 18 in the Senate. And there was a two-year period when Democrats controlled the House, 90 and, 91 and 92. So it's interesting to me that the big thing right now is that they are thinking of, you know, goodness, we've just got to bust the supermajority. And I'm not, I'm not playing that idea down, but there was a recent past within my lifetime when Democrats were much more competitive statewide, and that was because they had conservative rural Democrats in the legislature. Well, and we should say, I mean, breaking the supermajority kind of has been Charlie Brown and Lucy with the football the last couple elections. Yeah. And you you have to wonder if part of the political strategy behind pursuing the ultra-conservative legislation uh, was that right now they do have veto-proof majorities, but in two years they might not. So sure. might as Get well this stuff try in to place. push it through now. Well, but that there's a larger there's a larger there's also a larger national dynamic in that this stuff is being pursued at this moment before arguably, you know, two, four, six, ten, twelve years from now when this kind of legislation becomes unacceptable uh politically. That, you know, just like uh, just like mounting an attack on same-sex marriage now, which was perfectly plausible 15 years ago, uh, it's a political non-starter now. I mean, I, I, I think I go back to what I said earlier. I think it, it was a really decisive session in some ways and probably sets the tone for what we will see next year on the, on the back end of the biennium and, um, you know, a lot, a lot to keep reporting on oh, throughout sure, the summer. Sure. And we'll, next year will be interesting to see if any of the laws from this session have been mm-hmm. challenged in mm-hmm. court and are on hold, and if uh, they prompt lawmakers to revisit them. You know, I think the the takeaway from this this session good for reporters having lots to keep track of and report on. Yes, and if you want to read that reporting. You can go to cjonline.com, follow us on Twitter at cjonline, like us on Facebook or Instagram. We are on all the social medias. And Jason, if they want to, uh, you don't have your blue check mark anymore, but if they want to hear from you anyway, where can they do that? Yeah, I'm at Jason underscore Tid on Twitter. Two I'm, Ds. Two Ds. Double the D, double the fun. My grades were better than that. <laughs> I am at Andrew Ball, B-A-H-L. And John, where can they find your work? At A-P-J-D Hannah. Only and, one D. Yes. And uh, www.apnews.com backslash Kansas. Um, so, yes. Go, go check John out. He has a lot of good stuff. And if you want to listen to back episodes of Chillin' in the State House, and you do, uh, the the award winning back episodes. What we're at number seventy four, right? Something this is like number seventy four. We, we have done so many that I cannot remember them all. <laughs> Which well, we're going to have to, as I have said before, we're going to have to have a big party when we get to a hundred. Cake, is cake. cake in order. Yes, you think cake in order, Jason? Well, we still need to drink our sarsaparilla that Raphael brought us. Yes, our education reporter brought us from Dodge City like a month and a half ago. 
Oh, wait, it, it, it's probably very chill now. It's been in your refrigerator, <laughs> I hope. Yes, very chill. It's chill. It's chilling in the state house. Yes. The award-winning chilling in the state house. It's true. And the award-winning chilling in the state house is on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Wherever everywhere. your fine podcasts are found. Indeed. Jason. Andrew. John. Andrew. Jason. Should we adjourn this podcast? Signy die. Except, except we know when we're coming back. Yeah, you know, we know we, when we're coming back. We'll be back soon, right? Right. Yeah. Uh, unless there's another fire alarm. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Until then, have a great week, y'all. We'll see you down the road.